Hey everybody, welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm recording this on a Sunday night. Today we had a really awesome service. Um, I know it feels like I've said this the past couple times, but I think today was one of our best services yet. We actually had like, I think like seven first-time visitors, which is crazy. Uh, I don't know what type of church you have gone to or what you're used to, Um our background is from like kind of bigger churches. So starting this different community in uh, a humble way has been a really awesome and freeing. Uh, but B we just didn't really know what to expect or how we were going to grow. And then add on top of that, this whole COVID junk and it's just totally unknown. And so to see such a, you know, big number of visitors for us that's so cool and encouraging and it means a ton thank you if you're coming out to the services uh it just it means a lot uh and if you're listening from home thank you so much for listening from home that means just as much uh it's just crazy to see that there's people out there who believe in what we're doing and i just want to thank you you know from the bottom of our hearts it's really cool and i just can't wait to have church again next week (laughs) Uh, I don't have a whole lot to tell you about other than Hannah's going to jump into an awesome message here about forgiveness. I'm going to title this one, Forgiveness is More Than Saying Sorry. And if that made you think of a song, then you and I can be best friends. It's the, uh, you know, forgiveness more than saying sorry. If anybody can tell me what movie that's from. I will send you a virtual high five. (laughs) Uh, Hannah is going to go over a couple of announcements right up front, so I won't do it twice. I just want to tell you to make sure you're following our um, social media this week, whether it's Instagram or Facebook. We do this thing called reverse tithe. Most churches, you know, they teach that you should tithe and give 10% of your money back to the church. We don't exactly teach that. We're more of just like, you know, come from a posture of generosity and give back what you can. Uh, But since a lot of times churches do say that that's a good place to start, we kind of figured that we would practice what we preach. And anytime we get anything in, we immediately take 10% of it and send it right back out into the community. Well, we've been saving for a couple months and we have three different organizations we are going to be giving some gifts to this week and we're going to announce those on social media so make sure you're following us on facebook and instagram and you can kind of see where some of the uh, gifts you guys have given are going straight back into the community to help out in really awesome ways so i think that's all that i have for you uh without further ado here is forgiveness more than saying sorry hey (laughs) y'all I'm out of breath. For no reason. I've done nothing. (laughs) I was standing. And that's hard, apparently, now. Um, Welcome. Happy Sunday. I'm glad you're all here, even though it's raining. The weather report said that there was a 15% chance of rain this morning. And you know, all 15% is happening on us right now. So if you are here and you have, or if you're watching online, you have your phones, you can pull them out and go to diff, D-I-F-F, dot church. That is where we communicate with you. So you can tell us how you found about us. You can volunteer. We have two areas where we would love to have someone help like once a month. 
if you're available. Um, one is holding babies. That's personally my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, and secondly, if you want to run the sound team <laughs> and give me more of a squeal, you can totally do that as well. You can talk to Jarrett. Um, and also, you can make donations online. We don't pass offering buckets. We don't do anything like that. We just, you know, no contact. We just wave from far away. Someday we'll be able to like, I was gonna say hug, but is that too much? Fist bump? <laughs> we'll start small. Also, we have a super chill book club. Different Church Super Chill Book Club is, we're reading the book, Why Would Anyone Go to Church? <laughs> and it's by Kevin Makins. We read the first chapter this week, and I have not answered any of the questions in the Facebook group. I have read everyone's responses, but I have not answered the questions because Somebody was kicking my butt this week. <laughs> this week has been a little rough. But I am really, I love all of the responses, and Jarrett is doing such a good job. And special shout out to Jarrett. Woo. You're not allowed to woo your own shout out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, we talked about Jacob and how he was not such a good guy in the Old Testament. And he had to wrestle with himself and with God and it was a whole thing. I can't recap it because we don't have time. So you got to go back and listen if you need to know about Jacob. But we're going to pick up with his story later, him and his family, because he had 12 sons and they did not get along. Now, they particularly did not get along with Joseph, who had the Technicolor dream coat, that guy. They just hated him, like so much. They hated him so much that they trapped him in a pit and then sold him to a wandering caravan of traders who were going to Egypt. Like, I don't know. That's pretty crazy. Like, how do you get to the point of hating your literal brother so much that you sell them to someone else? Like, I mean, we make jokes, right? Like, oh, you want this kid? It won't stop crying. Well, we would never do that. His brothers were like, yes, we don't like him. We're just going to get rid of him and never see him again and tell, his, tell our dad that he just died in the wilderness, he was eaten by a lion, or who knows? I feel like this is an example of like generational sin being passed down. Now, I firmly believe that every person is responsible for their own choices. However, it's really hard not to draw a parallel between Jacob and Esau, and all of the drama that went on between them, and Jacob's kids, and all of the drama that goes on between them. There is such a thing as generational trauma, generational patterns that get passed down. And, of course, his kids grew up knowing, knowing about the family dynamics. Like, they knew that Jacob didn't get along with Uncle Esau, and they knew what had happened. They knew that he tried to steal everything from him. They knew when Jacob sent his whole family across the river to be a literal human shield between him and Esau. Like, they, they understood this. So it's not really a surprise that Jacob's own kids are struggling with the same things that Jacob did, which is jealousy of each other, um, and Joseph was the favorite. He wasn't the firstborn, but he was the favorite. He got all kinds of special gifts. Every parent has a favorite, I assume. We might only have one, so it'll be my favorite. <laughs> but, like, you know, every parent has a favorite, even if they don't want to admit it. Jacob, Joseph was Jacob's favorite. He gave him special gifts. He let him out of the chores. He gave him a special coat. And on top of this, Joseph seems to be kind of annoying as a teenager. He like has these dreams about how wonderful he is and how everyone bows down to him and his brothers are like, thank you for telling us that. We hate you so much. Um, so his older brothers hated him and what starts as like jealousy and irritation to their little brother turns into this 
whole crazy thing where they actually do something really dangerous and awful, like how do you get to that point? How do you go from I don't like my brother to I'm going to sell him to other people? So they sell him to this caravan of traders. And we're going to go through Joseph's life in like three minutes. So buckle up. This is a lot of chapters in Genesis. And you can read them. They're very interesting. They read kind of like a telenovela. I highly recommend. So they sell Joseph. He goes to Egypt. He's a slave in one person's house for a while. Then he goes to jail because of some false accusations. Then he's so good at what he does in jail. He like runs the jail pretty much while he's a prisoner. And then he works for Pharaoh for a while because Pharaoh had a dream and no one could interpret the dream. So Joseph interprets the dream and then they're like, okay, we'll let you out of jail. Clearly you're important and you have things to say. So then he works for Pharaoh for a while and eventually works his way up. And now he's the second person in command in all of Egypt. That was like 20 years. We just condensed into about 30 seconds. But he's the second person. Now there's a famine. He's in charge. He's like the governor of Egypt. Joseph had a dream. Dreams are a theme in his life. He had a dream that there was a famine coming. So he's been preparing for years, building these warehouses, filling them full, full of food. And then the famine comes. And then everyone starts not having enough food, starving to death. So Egypt becomes the only place where people can go to buy food. So his brothers come to buy food from him. Now, 10 of them, 10 of his brothers come to buy food. They left the very youngest at home, Benjamin, because Jacob was like, I already lost Joseph a long, long time ago. Don't you take Benjamin away from me. He must stay with me in case, you know, you die along the way. All of you are expendable, I guess, but leave me Benjamin. So they leave Benjamin at home. Joseph recognizes them immediately. He's like, oh, you people. <laughs> I've been waiting 20 years to see you. So he recognizes them. They do not know who he is. He looks completely different now. So instead of being like, I'm Joseph, I don't like you, let's hash this out, he plays this weird cat and mouse game with them and treats them kind of terribly. Like at first he accuses them of being spies and then he puts them all in jail. Then he says, I'll release one of you to go back home and get your other brother that you're saying exists and bring him back so that you can prove to me that you're not spies. So they release one to go home. Then three days later, he's like, I am a God-fearing man, so I will release the rest of you, except for one, Simeon. You get to stay in jail forever until they come back. And you can all go home and bring your, this, bring your youngest brother back to me so you can prove that you're not spies sent to take down Egypt. He knows they're not spies. So the eight that are set free, they go off home. The nine. The nine that are set free go off home. And they buy their grain. And when they get home, they discover that the payment for their grain has been stuffed back in their sacks. And now they're like really worried. They're like, oh man, this must be a mistake. He's really going to think we are spies. He's really going to think we're trying to steal from him. We don't know what to do. We have to go back. So they go back with Benjamin after some drama. Highly recommend you read. And they, take, they don't spend the money that he gave them back. They take it back and they take extra gifts to be like, we're not spies. Please don't kill us. We just want to have food. They go back. And then Joseph is like, oh, I see that you are not spies because you brought my brother. He didn't say my brother. Your brother. You brought this brother back, so I'll let the other one out of prison. We have a great feast. 
He feeds them all the finest foods that I'm sure they haven't had in years because of the famine. Gives them all the grain they need, sends them off back home. Except that he then puts their payment back in their grain sacks again and then hides like a silver cup in one of their bags. He does this. He was like, hey, to the palace manager, hide a silver cup in one of their bags and then go after them and then accuse them of stealing. Okay, so they leave. They're just so happy. They have grain. All their brothers are out of jail. Everything is hunky-dory. And then a soldier cracks him down and is like, how dare you steal after he was so nice to you and he fed you this wonderful meal and I can't believe that you would steal. And they're like, we didn't steal. We don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, search our belongings. We have nothing to hide. And then, of course, they find this cup. And Joseph is like, well, since you clearly stole from me, the person whose bag that this was found in must stay with me as a slave forever. And it was Benjamin, the youngest. So there's more drama. And then they all go back. And then Judah, one of them is like, Joseph, please, like take me instead. If, I, if we go back and we don't have Benjamin, it might give our old man a heart attack. Like, he might not even make it. He said, if you don't bring him back, you might as well kill me. That's how much he will be devastated. And finally, Joseph can't keep up his act anymore. So he sends all the Egyptians out of the room, and he's going to tell them who he is. So now this is where we pick up. We're going to read just a few verses in Genesis 45. Um, it's 1 through 15, but I abridged it a little bit because it's very long, as all telenovelas should be. So we're going to pick up in verse 45. This is the NLT translation. It says, Joseph was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing in front of them. Please come closer, he said. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to prepare to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five years more. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. And then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position. Describe for him everything you have seen and bring him here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them, and after that, they began talking freely with him. That was a lot. That was a recap of Joseph's life in as short as I could possibly make it. You don't even know how many details I left out. We could be here for days talking about Joseph, but I don't want to keep you for days because pretty soon I'm going to get hungry. <laughs> so I don't want to stay for days. So we get to condense this. There's so many fascinating details. It's like such an emotional story. But what is the point? Like why, why do we go through that whole long synopsis and then read a few verses about Joseph and his brothers making up becoming a family again. Like, there's so many ways you can go with the story of Joseph. But today our topic is specific. And to be completely honest, it's a topic I don't really want to talk about. 
and that is forgiveness. Now, you might think that's weird. The pastor doesn't want to talk about forgiveness. What kind of a place is this? Well, I love to talk about things that I have a handle on. Right? Like, even when I don't know the theological answer to something, like, I can, I can generally make a pretty educated guess. I can give you a... I can present some good readings of Scripture. This is what, like, years of ministry school and seminary, like, this is what... This is my life. Like, this is what I've been preparing to do. Gather and interpret information and then put it into a format that's understandable and then give it back to you. And then the problem is forgiveness is not really an information based research topic. It's an activity. It's something you have to do. It's one of the most foundational, most basic tenets of the entire Christian faith. There's like a billion verses in the Bible about it. Approximately. Like, as God has forgiven us, so we have to forgive each other. How many times should we forgive? Seven times? No, 70 times seven times. In other words, an infinite number of times. Remember the magnitude of what you have been forgiven so that you don't harm others by not forgiving them. There's literally so much information written about forgiveness. Like you could do a Google search and then just be completely overwhelmed. And yet, with all the volumes that have been written, it's still not something you can easily find a right answer to. Which is why I don't want to talk about forgiveness. (laughs) I can't give you any easy answers. I can't tell you, like, the 10 simple steps to forgiving someone that has hurt you. I can't even tell you I'm good at it, because I'm not. Like, I'm a pretty easygoing person. Like, it takes a lot to upset me. I let a lot of things slide, usually. Quick to forgive. But there's a line that a few people have crossed in my life that there hasn't been any going back from. No one in this room. Like, I want to stand up here and tell you I've tracked all of these people down, like we have mended our relationship, but I can't tell you that because it's not true. I am not a confrontational person, and I have to admit that there have been times in my life where there are relationships that I have just let go because I did not have the courage to set boundaries, did not have the resolve to say this has harmed me and this is why, this is why I don't want you to do this. So I just let it go. I let that person go. And even like doing this as a pastor, like I'm pretty aware of what I say and how I say it and how I treat people. But there are plenty of times where I've hurt other people Be, by being careless, by not valuing them, by not talking to them or loving them in the way that they need to be loved. And I wish that I could stand up here and say to you that every time I know that I have hurt someone, I immediately go to that person and I apologize and I make it right. But I can't. I can't say it because it's hard. It's really hard to say that you're sorry and admit that you have hurt someone. Sometimes I don't do it. I'm working on it. Sometimes I just procrastinate until I feel like the other person has forgotten. We never do that. Like, we have an honesty policy (laughs) at different church. So, like, I'm the one up here with the microphone. But also, I'm just a human. Like, you should know that I don't have some special handle on all things faith. Just because I know what to do does not mean that I do it all the time. 
like all of us. I'm just human. And that's why I don't want to talk about forgiveness. But it's also exactly why we have to talk about forgiveness. Because we are actually in this together as a faith community. We're learning together. We're growing together. We are trying to figure out what it means to live as a person of faith and have relationships with other people. It is inevitable that we will hurt each other somehow. So what happens when we do? And Joseph, I think, is one of the best examples in the Bible when we talk about forgiveness because it's so painfully honest. Like, we can see from what we just read that he forgives them, and he tells them who he is, and he gives them food, and they become a family again. And even in doing that, he makes a mess. He cannot decide how to interact with them, with kindness or with hatred. He locks them up in prison and then gives them their money back. He accuses them of lying, and then he makes it look like they stole something from him. Like, how can we possibly learn from Joseph about what happens when we hold in our pain if we're not willing to be honest ourselves. Joseph keeps trying to push down what happened to him while he's having this conversation with his brothers. But all these years later, like almost 20 years later, and it is still so fresh, so fresh, what they did to him. He says, I, I don't have any hard feelings towards you. And we're like, yes, Joseph, what a wonderful person. You have no hard feelings. Except that his actions clearly show he has some hard feelings. He is clearly still struggling. He is clearly still overwhelmed. He has not let go of his desire to have revenge on them. But then as he interacts more and more with his family, the connection grows a little bit. And eventually, the love wins out. And they start on a journey forward together. He forgives them, but it's really complicated. And that's the thing about forgiveness. It's really messy. It's uncomfortably messy. It is not as simple as saying the words, I forgive you, and then letting it go. We generally don't have the capability of doing that. God is like the only person who can do that. Forgive you, we're done. Move on. For us, and this is really what I want you to get out of Joseph's story, forgiveness is a process. Sometimes it stays messy forever. It's not always a matter of forgiven or not forgiven. It's a matter of openings and possibilities. We have to be careful not to let the word forgiveness distract us from the actual important thing, which is what's happening in our heart, what matters the most. Because we have to do the work to take the next step. And there are no 10 easy steps, right? But perhaps there are some we can take. Like, for example, perhaps the first step in forgiveness for you and for me is to begin to treat that person with humanity. Treat that person like a person, even though they have harmed you even though what they've done has not been resolved. Everything doesn't have to be okay in order for small openings of grace to occur. Especially if that person is still in your life. You don't have to be best friends with them in order to not be fighting every time you see them. Everything doesn't have to be okay for small openings of grace to start happening. And perhaps the second step is to pray for that person. 
which is difficult. Even when you don't want to, especially when you don't want to. Maybe just a sentence, like once a week at first. Then maybe every couple days. Then maybe every day. And maybe it'll take days and days and days and months. But somewhere along the way, what happens when you pray for someone else, and I can tell you this from personal experience, is you start praying for God to show up in someone else's life, which is great. But what happens is, while you're praying, God will show up in your life. God will show up in your heart. You will discover that by trying to see this person who, is, who has done such great harm to you, you will discover that by praying for them and seeing them as a broken, messed up human just like the rest of us, that God will somehow take the bitterness out of the wound that you have. It might still ache, but it won't consume you anymore. What they did may never be resolved, but it doesn't have to control your emotions anymore. It doesn't have to control how you respond to people. You might begin to hope, and I don't know, it might happen on the third day, but more likely it's going to happen on the 90th day when you pray for someone. You'll begin to hope that they can find healing just as you are finding healing so that they don't keep hurting other people. You'll begin to see a future where the grace that has transformed your wrinkly old heart and made it grow three sizes, you'll begin to see a future where God can actually do that for them. It's really, really difficult to stay mad at someone when you pray for them. You can hold on to it for a while. But eventually, you can't. God will take it out. And perhaps the third step is you have to seek help. Get counseling. Nobody likes that one. That's expensive and hard. Yes. Yes, it is. You have to do the work of facing your own trauma in a safe space so that you don't turn around and do it to someone else. That you don't turn around and inflict the same thing that has happened to you on other people. so that your family dynamic does not turn into Jacob's family dynamic. Because clearly he passed it down. He passed down the jealousy. He passed down the envy. He passed down. He passed down. He passed down. He passed down his fear. And look what happened to his own kids. We have a responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen. God has given us the tools and I'm sure there has to be like a million more steps in the process of forgiveness. I've only mentioned three. Treat the other person like a human. Pray for them. Get help in community. It's incomplete, but it's a good start. Like those are, that's enough to start with. I don't want to give you 20 steps. Then we'll just be like, no, it's too many. I won't do any of them. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I won't do any of them if there's too many steps. 
And I do want to point out very clearly that just because you are on a journey of forgiveness and you are on a journey of healing, that does not mean you have to let someone back into your life who has done something awful to you. You do not have to be best friends with them. You are allowed to walk through forgiveness and still not allow a person back into your life who has caused great harm to you. I think one of the messages I have heard from the church growing up is that you have to, you have, once you forgive, you have to mend that relationship. And that's possible, but sometimes the magnitude of what has been done does not allow for that. Like, we all want to be forgiven when we do stuff, but sometimes there are consequences. And perhaps it is healthier for you and safer for you to not be in a relationship with that person, but that doesn't mean that that harm has to control you for the rest of your life. And also, it must be said that very, very often, the church has pressured people into forgiveness for things that the church has refused to address and was responsible for in the first place. It is wrong to ask someone to forgive a person who remains in power over them while doing nothing to rectify the situation. Like we can't ask women who have been abused to forgive their abuser while taking zero actions to remove those people. We cannot ask people of color to forgive all the ways that they have been oppressed and marginalized while taking no action to fundamentally change the structures in the church that have perpetrated those things in the first place. And I could go on and on. That gives me fired up. But I'm just going to simply say this. This shouldn't be. And I get it. Like, I was born in church. I want the church to be better. And for a long time, I spent... I spent a lot of years outside throwing rocks. It's the only way I can say it. Poking holes. Pointing out all the things that were wrong with the family of God. And I mean, I wish I could say I didn't do that, but... I would, I would go visit a church and like sit in the back and be like, mm. I would just like keep a tally of all the things I didn't like. <laughs> I don't like how he said that. I don't like this. I don't like that. It's really easy to be angry. It's really easy to say you should be better. But you know what? So should I. And the church is made up of me and you and all of us. And it will never be better unless we are better. It will never be better unless we make an effort. It will never be better unless we get up here and we try to be honest and we quit pretending like everything is fine and we say, I don't have a handle on this. I'm not good at it. And guess what? That's okay. Because God will help us. And not just God, we will help each other as a community of faith. I'm not so great at it, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I, I promise on our very first Sunday that um, we definitely will not be perfect <laughs> as a faith community. Like if you're looking for a perfect place, you came to the wrong place. <laughs> 
Also, if you find a perfect place, like, please don't go in there because you will ruin it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'm, I meant that. We're not going to be perfect. But what we can do is when we make a mistake, we will own up to it. We will try to make it right. There is no escaping hurting each other. I, I wish I could be like, I'll never say something that makes you upset. <laughs> I wish I could say, I will always do, say the right thing and do the right thing and be there when you need me to, but I probably won't. I'll do my best. But all we can do is try together. And when we try together, we're so much better than when we're apart. And we have a responsibility. God has entrusted us with something so heavy and yet so light. The responsibility of making a space where people, all people, can explore faith together. We have a responsibility to be better. And I think we are. Like, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think we are. And finally, I just want to say, or perhaps speak to the person who is like, I don't have any like great trauma in my life caused by another person. I don't have any huge thing that I've been thinking about the whole time you've been talking from another person. But what you are struggling to do is forgive yourself. And I just want to say this really simply, you are worthy of the same forgiveness that God has offered to everybody else. You have not done anything so great that you can't go on your own journey of forgiveness, that you can't mend that broken relationship that you have with yourself. You're not worthless. You're not beyond repair. You're not irreparably broken. Maybe those steps that I mentioned apply to you too. How about treat yourself like a human? We say stuff to ourselves that we would never say to another person. Ever. Especially not someone we love. Like I would never. I can't. I used to say I would never look at my best friend and say these things. But now I'm growing a human. I would never look at her and say, you're worthless, you're broken, you're stupid, there's no way out of this, you might as well give up. I would never say that ever because I love her. Treat yourself like a human. If you wouldn't say it to someone you love, you do, step one, you do not get to say it to yourself. Treat yourself like a human. Pray for yourself. When was the last time you prayed for yourself? And not just like a God help me. God, give me a little grace. Help me see myself the way you see me. Give pe put people in my life that will come alongside me. Seek help from the community. Oh, I'm gonna stop. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> <laughs>